everybody. It's me and Ken. Ken, Ken, we said we'd be back doing this all the time, and the last one was in April. Um, so welcome back to Tangential Convergence. It's episode 57, uh, and we're going to talk about some... There's been so many current events. The Queen's dead. Long live the king. Uh, that's a weird thing to say. Um, there's, oh, I don't know, there's a Russian army is bravely running away uh in ukraine or as a colleague of mine called it tactical cowardice um which i really i thought that was very clever but a really big thing happened just what's today's the 11th 12 days ago on october uh, 12 13 days ago on august 30th mikhail i believe sergeyevich was his, his uh, patronymic uh gorbachev died and that's a big deal on a lot of levels and the thing is uh, when this happened i thought wait a second i know a russian I've podcasted with a Russian. Hey, why don't we bring on Danny Il? I tried Dan Barabanov uh, (laughs) to talk uh, (laughs) with us about about Mikhail Gorbachev. How are you today, Dan, in uh, Vancouver? Oh, thank you for your invitation, Dave. No problem. I'm pleased to to be here today. So excellent. As I as I see from my windows, there is a you know forest burning somewhere nearby so there are a lot of smoke but uh in other ways things are pretty good here good so i'm eager to talk excellent and uh just a little bit of background for those of you who haven't uh, heard stuff from dan and i uh dan moved from moved is a way to put it uh escaped is another way to put it uh from uh putin's russia about two weeks after the invasion of ukraine started uh is that right dan about two weeks eh? yeah certain days Okay. okay. That's about two weeks. So that's pretty good. I, I did okay there. Uh, and, you know, um, Ken and I obviously have a view of Mikhail Gorbachev that you wouldn't necessarily have because you have a different set of experiences. Um, so I guess, I, I guess I'll open up the floor here and I get, well, maybe we'll start with the Western view of Gorbachev. So, you know, um, and I think Ken, you can maybe back me up on this if you agree with me is that I think we view him as sort of a pragmatic, good and sad figure. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, like early on and unknown, I think for us, like we had reached a point where in the West, we were well past the, you know, duck and cover will save you from a nuclear uh strike that we had you know we'd had movies like the day after and stuff Mm -hmm. like that where we realized that it would be just better to die as quickly as possible rather than to linger in the nuclear wasteland and in sault st marie which is right across the border from sioux michigan yeah and there's an armory in sioux canada was always we were told was a target oh sure so to see someone kind of act like a what we perceive to be like a western politician who was yeah. approachable and kind of had a bit of a celebrity quality about him more and Definitely more had that. um yeah, yeah we kind of went from i think just like you know if this happens we're all toast to hey well maybe <laughs> yeah maybe maybe there's a chance that it won't happen and i think for some of us, we were more worried about Reagan being an idiot than Gorbachev, to be quite frank. It's, I, I think at the beginning, that's true. I mean, I, I now, again, I was a stupid kid in his mid-20s so or early 20s when Gorbachev came to power. So I had the standard stupid Canadian kid anti-Americanism. Um, so, you know, you had this, Reagan's the worst. Now, I am not a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, um, yeah, I think I felt that way, too. It was like, well, Reagan's going to screw up before this guy. And maybe this guy's the real thing. Because we'd always yeah. think maybe this guy's the real thing. Andropov, Chernyanko. Nobody thought Brezhnev was good. But, um, <laughs> but Dan, maybe people in Russia thought Brezhnev was good or the Soviet Union, right? Oh, sure. You know, um, Brezhnev, you know, is much more popular and uh, well-loved in comparison to Gorbachev, actually, and Yeltsin combined. And people tend to see this as a golden days of Soviet Union with relative prosperity and stability. And actually, it really drastically contrasts the perception you guys have here. And Mm -hmm. I learned about that in the last couple of years, and I was kind of surprised 
uh, how strong the difference in perception mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, Russian and Soviet political leaders. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, I think most of us saw him, like Ken said, as a, as a, a Western style politician, you know, when he would come to do state visits in Canada or the States, he'd stop and talk to people. Um, I remember being in Ottawa when he came to on a state visit to Ottawa because uh, it was a conference I was at in Ottawa. So that's why I was there. And um, we were all hoping that he would come, come by because mm -hmm. he did that. That was a thing he would do, which is something that Justin Trudeau would do and something that Joe Biden would do. You know, it's certainly something Barack Obama would do, which would be, you know, stop and go talk to people, talk to the regular folks. And he, he did that wherever he went and he'd stop and he'd talk to people and he'd, you know, he'd speak a little bit of English even. Apparently he was actually quite fluent in English. Uh, so it felt like I was talking to somebody who, you know, not me, but it felt like we had somebody um, that was, that understood us a bit better. Uh, that was my feeling. And he had the celebrity quality as well, you know, um, because Soviet leaders <laughs> didn't have that. They just had the, hey, look at the really old guy who's going to die quality, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think we can credit Gorbachev and George H.W. Bush with a soft landing to the Cold War, uh, I, I, I think. I don't know. Um, it's my view anyway. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think Bush gets enough credit, frankly, for that. But, um, you know, there was no, hem no, no, no triumphalism in the States, really, uh, which in the West, which was pretty cool because we could have said, ha, 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 we won. But no one did yeah. that, which was a good thing. Um, and I think we all liked Gorbachev, too, because of the idea of he was trying to liberalize things. And the biggest thing that we all had about us, you know, looking into the USSR was that we saw this place where people couldn't express themselves, where, you know, people couldn't move around if they wanted to. People couldn't leave if they wanted to. So I think it, that was very sort of, uh, to use a word that I use a lot with, with, with Dan when I talk with him, it, just, so it's, it was very foreign, very weird, very off. And this guy was changing that. And he was out actually going out and talking to people. I saw this great clip of him talking to people in the street in, in Moscow. And a woman saying to him, and I mean, you know, Brezhnev never did this, went talked among the people. And he, he was just talking with a big crowd of people in Moscow. And this woman said, you have to get closer to the people. And he's standing right beside her. And she, he's, he made a joke. He said, Is, isn't, isn't this close enough? And I mean, the idea that Konstantin Chernyenko would ever make a joke was so weird. But Gorbachev did. You know, so there was just there was also this sort of Western outlook. I remember them saying, well, you know, he doesn't drink vodka. He drinks scotch <laughs> like, oh, well, then he's one of us. OK, <laughs> I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. That's a pretty new piece of info. For, for I think <laughs> I, I think that came from Margaret Thatcher. So, so she may have made that up. Um, <laughs> got a lot of problems with Margaret Thatcher. That's a whole different episode. Yeah. <laughs> so in Dan, in in Russia today uh, or not today necessarily, because you're not there now, but in the, you know, when you were, let's see when you were a kid, because you were a kid in the nineties, right? Yeah. When, so actually when things were bad. <laughs> uh, I was born during the reign of Gorbachev mm -hmm. in 1989. Okay. But actually I don't remember him obviously well, no. because I was two, three years old when the USSR collapsed. Right. So uh, the majority of information I know is from my relatives or history textbooks or right. uh, YouTube documentaries or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. still, I was pretty close to that atmosphere which stayed in Russia until early 2000s, uh, right. which was much, there were much more freedom and mm. more opinions and discussions and ideas that USSR was an ineffective state uh, which collapsed and we should do things different way we must do things different way mm -hmm. and we should you know copy and learn from you know western countries or something like that it really changed when oil prices rose up and Putin decided that we have some uh, special past and we are not as the same as other countries and we need to like be some sort of you know empire again ah russian exceptionalism but Gorbachev <laughs> was not very popular figure like i remember my relative's attitude toward him which mm -hmm. probably uh, can be interesting for our listeners mm -hmm. uh, so 
Gorbachev was constantly mocked uh, because of his um, 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 specific dialect. So he spoke Russian with some form. It's not an accent, but you know, with this special, you know, characteristic of his speech, uh, which huh. sound a bit funny yeah, in Russian. Uh, also, he had, you know, famous birthmark, which yep. uh, was also, you know, a subject of, you know, many jokes, and which is really distinguished him from, you know, previous uh, and, you know, next leaders yep. is his relationships with his wife. Actually, he, he right. made some sort of a first lady, Raisa Gorbachova, mm -hmm. and it was unusual, and people actually strongly disliked Raisa. Uh, late Soviet society was very sexist, and there is uh, ideas that women like sh sh shouldn't be uh, in this, you know, top uh, should shouldn't be top political figures. And Raisa Gorbachev was very initiative, and mm -hmm. she had a lot of, you know, public relations, you know, meetings, and all of that. Gorbachev uh, allowed her to do that, but it was not very good for his you know political points inside the country because people didn't get used to that and actually after Yeltsin who tried to somewhat copy that style like he, his wife um, uh, also was a public figure after that you know oh, yeah. we, we didn't see much you know some sort of first lady in our politics like Putin is famously divorced and he have, uh, has some you know love affairs which is you know famous but it, it's not the same you know for uh, western pr and western leaders who are tried to you know portray themselves as you know family guys with right. a good, good family <laughs> from you know well i guess uh, if you don't if you don't have to worry about getting elected um the idea of your wife and your family being some sort of i mean i think it's a whole different I don't know what culture. Looking for. culture. Uh, yeah, culture is the right word. That's the right word. Um, political culture. Political culture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she had a PhD in philosophy or something. She wasn't stupid either, right? I mean, she was a smart woman. She was uh, smart. She was initiative, but people didn't like her. People didn't like her. Now, he, what was this? So, what, 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 what's this dialect he was speaking? How was he different? Oh, I just can't, you know, explain it to you because, you know, there are strong differences between English and Russian. So sure. English nature has different accents like Irish, Scottish, sure. you know, Australian, Canadian, you know, mm -hmm. uh, British. Uh, and you just don't uh, pay a lot of attention to that. Like you understand a person, it's enough. In Russian, any even small difference from general like dialect uh, can be mocked as you know funny or weird or something like that. Okay. So okay. I I I can't explain exactly what uh, was the point. Well, because, well, shortly you know, after that, Canada Canada had a, a prime minister that 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 spoke both official languages poorly. So, uh, right, Ken, uh, the, uh, remember Kretchen's line, I, me, I'm not opening that Pandora's can of worm, um, or Pandora's box of worms. So <laughs> I guess, does anybody have any, like in Russia, does anybody have any positive things to say about him? Not anybody. Cause I mean, people do, but well, if you get people, if you sit down with, with um, uh, let's pick a typical Russian name, you sit down with, with Sergei, and you start pouring the vodka and having vodka shots. At some point, does Sergei go, you know, he did some good things too? Or does Sergei just go, freaking Gorbachev, I hate him? Oh, I, I would say like society is strongly polarized Okay. Um, in relation to Gorbachev. So, I would say like it's my rough estimation of mm. subjective, like maybe 70% of people would say as ah, it's a bad guy who destroyed the Soviet Union. And uh, he was a weak leader who let, uh, you know, the US and NATO win the Cold War and we could uh, done better. And Gorbachev, for example, could bargain a better terms you know, for example, uh, external debt, you know, 
right. it could be forgiven uh, mm. for you know releasing Eastern European countries or something like that. So uh, there was you know a level of you know margin Gorbachev could really take, mm-hmm. uh, and 30 percent of people see him like as a liberator and reformator who gave okay. a chance uh, and saved a collapsing empire from literally hunger and possible nuclear war or awful civil war because right. the USSR was, you know, a huge stockpile of weapons which mm-hmm. were produced by decades with really, really poor and aggressive people, uh, nothing to lose. Uh, and it could be like, you know, as a war in comparison to what Yugoslavia would be like, you know. Oh, it would, it would make the Balkan uh, War, a Russian civil talks. war would make the Balkan civil wars in, in, the, in the 90s look like a, like a day at kindergarten. Um, yeah, it's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So actually, without Gorbachev, I wouldn't be sitting right here and talking with you. Yeah, I think you're, yeah. you're almost certainly right. Um, I don't know what... What do you think, Ken? I mean, what's 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 your view of the how history looks at? Uh, you're the only one here with a history degree, Ken. What's the <laughs> what's the view? What's history's? What do you think history's view, at least on the Western side, is of Gorbachev's legacy? I think generally it's positive. I think you know, you know, the tragedy of it is there's this period where you know, you do uh, in, in, in an effort to liberalize and reform, there's an opening for people who want to be bad actors to take advantage of things. Yes. So, you know, I mean, Yeltsin was almost overthrown. Like they, that was one bullet dodged, but the more insidious sort of having Putin in the background with Yeltsin and then, you know, that the gradual swapping between Medvedev and Putin in terms of who's, president who's prime minister just yeah. like a, you get the creation of like an ongoing oligarchic concern so yeah you know i think the view would be like he probably did what as much as any one man could but yes. you can't like you'd almost have to be autocratic to stop people from behaving badly on the level that some people chose to take advantage of the disintegrating situation and take over whole national industries and turn them into private concerns and i think also his i mean he was very pragmatic gorbachev because when he took power in 85 if i'm not mistaken um when he that's correct yeah because i I was i was i I can i can think of the course i was taking at the time and how the professor railed against him ken knows who the (laughs) professor was Uh, and uh uh, anyway so what what happened was At the beginning, I, I know that, in fact, he wanted to go hard, you know, to, to, to root out private property, things like that. Like there was a campaign about that, that he approved. And then when he found out, oh, that doesn't work, he was just very pragmatic. So he's like, let's do what the orthodoxy says. Let's what are we supposed to do? Well, this is being caused by pe- too many people owning the means of production. Like there's there's. A really a big campaign in the in the late 80s about 86 mid 80s to do that that didn't work so he's like well what else can we do because this this is this this whole thing is going to fall apart shortly oh you know what we could do let's try liberalizing i think he then found out that liberalizing also was just a sensible moral thing to do but at first that's not who he was he was just he was a well, rising rising star the only soviet leader other- born in the soviet union your other option and it's yeah. the one it's the road often taken by people in that position where it you're facing an internal collapse is to strike outward right right to use the force you have to go on a basically an adventure and i think it's kind of what we're seeing right now on right a now. on a smaller scale like yeah you've got if you've got if everything is collapsing but you've got all these tools lying around to like deflect from the internal problems that would be typically what a country would do more often than not. Exactly. Uh, And, you know, you think about there's, there's so many, I, I, I think there's a lot of examples in history of countries doing this where it's like, well, the only thing left we can do, well, there's two things we could reform something and try to do something properly, or we could start a war. 
<laughs> um, you know, you He's think about it. Gorbachev certainly could start a war in Eastern Europe exactly. and try to unify people, you know, rally over the flag and all of that, like, you know, final battle versus mm -hmm. evil versus, you know, good. And of course, Soviet Union would be good, but Gorbachev wasn't that type of a figure. He no. actually used some violence in several cities over like, protests, but yep. it was uh, kind of small in comparison to what he could do. And yes. he, he was not very keen on that. And actually he, you know, became trapped. So he was not using enough strength for authoritarian rule, but also he wasn't elected and he wasn't that popular in majority of people to be, you know, a democratic ruler. So actually, after, you know, this coups like Gekachapea and all of that, he lost his power. Actually, it's so interesting, like Gorbachev ruled actually uh, only six years, yeah. four times shorter than Putin. And mm -hmm. look how, how many, uh, you know, events occur during this time and how it influenced everything and like look at Putin's reign and Putin of course is kind of anti-Gorbachev in every you know aspect because Gorbachev uh, I don't think he even considers this as a loss in Cold War it was no like I no I don't think he did I think I think he just thought it was a tie <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's 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 a, there's a he uh, could destroy all the planets yes Actually, yeah. he, he could do that. And there, there was a, a when 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 uh, Bush went to Moscow to sign uh, the start uh, the the arms reduction uh, treaty that they worked out, which was by the way he signed uh, on the missile cruiser Moskva, which I think is now a submarine. Um, yeah. And uh, so he signed it there, but he, he was presented with um, by Gorbachev presented him. Uh, 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 a political cartoon from Pravda that had the the two of them with their hands held up like boxers and the world saying they both won. So that, which was kind of a, it, it's kind of a cool thing. And I know Bush really liked it too. Really, I miss George, George Bush senior. He was a pretty good man. Um, I would never would have voted for him. But I think he was a good person. The, so you get this a lot, you get this country's lash out leaders lash out. I mean, the first thing that I think of, guys, is I, I don't know, Daniel, how, how popular Star Trek ever was in Russia, but Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, is about the fall of the Soviet Union, except the Soviet Union are the Klingons. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I didn't see in Star Trek, actually. Uh, it's not the sink in Russia. You no, know, there's Chekhov. He's Russian. Star Wars <laughs> and a lot of things. So right. I just... I, I, I can listen about this episode if you want me to. But also, I mean, even thinking about Star, star uh, Wars, it's the same kind of thing, right? I mean, I think probably you guys are more Star Wars guys than I am, but I certainly think about the, um, I mean, the Empire is a totalitarian country. That's mm -hmm. what the Empire is, right? And the rebels are the forces of democracy. That's just... If, if, if anybody can't see that, they actually aren't paying attention to Star Wars. I mean, that's what's going on in Star Wars, right? It's pretty straightforward, I guess. Yeah. 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 And although, you know, thinking back to something that Daniel said earlier about, like, with Brezhnev, if people appreciate him because, like, things are pretty stable, they saw themselves as a world power, like, I can see a lot of people supporting the Empire as long as the Empire wasn't messing with them. And uh, life was good, you know, like more often than not, if even when, you know, you're, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people in Nazi Germany, as long as they weren't messed with the, yeah. they weren't going to make a fuss about anything. Like it's, uh, and it's the same thing I see here in North America with uh, yeah. demagogic, demagogic right-wing politicians. There's a lot of people in the centers, like as long as no one's messing with me, yeah, I don't really care. And think, like, yeah, it's very typical. Yeah. Yeah. And with Star Trek six, I mean, the big trope there is like, you get these guys who've been like doing this for like 30, 40 years on either side. And there's a certain part of them who can't give it up. Yeah. Right. They can't give up fighting. So they actually ally with each other so they can restart the fight. Like, 
<laughs> a small group of Klingons, a small group of people from the Federation who are old, yeah. cold warriors, they get together to make sure that there isn't what we saw with the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the rest. They want they don't want to see that. They because no. everything that they've done depends on maintaining the conflict. Exactly. And I mean this is I, I think this is the, the courage of Gorbachev, and I think this is how he's viewed here. The courage of him to say no, I will not roll tanks into Germany. I will not roll tanks into Poland and Hungary when they're when they're becoming more democratic, when they're throwing off the Soviet system, um, when they're leaving the Warsaw Pact, that whole kind of thing. When they do that, he could have done something. The, 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 and the Cold War would have ended a lot differently. It would have ended a little warmer, I think. Um, so I think the restraint that Gorbachev showed is something that people in the West really are... Well, uh, thankful yeah. for it. Yeah, we right appreciate it because, of yeah. course, like any other situation like this, like, of course, Soviet leaders are built up to be, you know, boogeymen. Yeah, that's right. You know, terrifying uh, monsters that are very difficult to communicate with, and we don't know what they're thinking. And so, you know, I, what the other thing that Gorbachev does for the West is in some ways he validates our own view of ourselves because it's like oh yeah now you're realizing oh, yeah. so you want to be more like us so we must have been right oh all yeah along. oh yeah like oh you want blue jeans we got your we got levi's for you like all you want you want mcdonald's nonsense. you want yeah. pizza hut hell he did a pizza hut ad oh, yeah, this was well after he was out of power but um so actually i guess i have kind of conjecture why there is also so so much difference in perception sure. of gorbachev so um the fan fact, I asked my grandfather, uh, who was born in 1935, about Caribbean crisis. Right. So actually, uh, was your fear because of that? Was it spooky for you? Right. And he said, we didn't know about that. So right. it wasn't a public information that such, mm. you know, nuclear war was like five minutes to start now. So whereas on and the radio, they had people on American ships saying oh they're stopping yes, this yeah. russian ship now like it's an it was live it all was one of, of north the first america live... had yeah. like minute by minute updates like kids my my mother in school they brought yeah. in televisions so they could see it as it happened yeah and so my, my, my mom I mean? they didn't even go to school they, they were told um there's no <laughs> i think my mom told i think it was my mom told me this that that the nuns it must be my mom because she was taught by nuns said there's no reason to give you any homework <laughs> which was like a first and so, so the implication there is we'll all see each other in heaven <laughs> yeah what i'm trying to say is that people in the ussr always underestimated the possibility of like nuclear apocalypse right. while you guys here actually felt the reality of this threat and people were living in, in with a feeling of you know permanent yeah. danger for decades yes. and of course when yeah. Gorbachev came and it became not a thing like there, there is, won't be a nuclear war it was a huge relief for like you know hundreds of millions of people yes. all over the world but for Soviet people no one actually thought that it's so highly likely to happen and like we could all die in nuclear apocalypse right. uh, which would uh, we would start probably there's something just like, so refreshing yeah, about you from about you yeah it's not <laughs> that you know so people actually didn't appreciate Gorbachev's effort because they never considered like from that from the variety of options yeah. there were no good one actually so there was a possibility of hunger there was possibility of civil war the possibility of nuclear war and what Gorbachev did he did like peaceful disintegration of empire with uh, some economic painful but possible economical reforms yeah it was the best possible scenario from real ones and uh, but people tend to think that it was the worst scenario, and if things done better, like there would be like more prosperity and more peaceful options, and people underestimate like how actually the situation was bad. 
But what what would they think? What what else could he have done? I guess my question, and I ask both you guys this, is that like what else could he have done differently that to have let everything maintain the way it was? I don't know, to sort of maintain the status quo. There still would be a USSR. I mean, it was supposed to become the Union of Sovereign States or something like that with the new Union Treaty. Um, you know, it was supposed to. There was a that was going to be different. Uh, everything was that was in fact, I believe, what ended up causing the the coup in August, right? So, like both of you, what do you think he could have done differently to maybe make the Soviet Union stick around? Any thoughts? Because I don't think I have one. It's hard <laughs> because he is only one person, right? And you have an entire political class that's grown up. The only way to get ahead is to be part of one party mm -hmm. and you almost have to have like it, it has to i think it has to be like a long transition where quite a bit of central authority is maintained but there's like a gradual devolution and even then i don't like a gradual devolution a gradual uh changing the political culture but then the problem with that is that people want change fast like people want to knock down the wall now they don't want to wait 10 yep. years to do that yep. Yep. people want to get it done fast so it would take someone who would actually probably have to apply i think more violence than he did and for longer in order yeah. to reach a gradual and even then like i said it might not work people could just riot and throw it you know up uh, throw that all over because people want things fast yeah exactly i mean that was my the only thing i think uh, to me the only thing he could have done would be to go all in on some repression and i just don't think that would have I, I don't know the people would have stood for that because they didn't stand for gorbachev being overthrown in the august coup so i don't know what do you think dan mm, actually i have you know a couple of ideas excellent things could be done differently actually there was you know a project of creating some sort of new soviet union mm -hmm. which would be closer to uh, current European Union. Yep. So countries will get more, uh, you know, uh, freedom in their foreign policy, but they will save economic ties, and it would be actually much more beneficial for all Soviet republics because the economic system was designed that way that all the countries were really dependent. Uh, on each other in production of different details and, you know, production cycles. And Gorbachev was like one step from convincing enough uh, leaders of the republics to do that, but it failed. So mm -hmm. actually it could be like done differently. There was a high chance to achieve that. And also I think that was uh, the problem with, you know, as a Soviet uh, debt and actually, I think that, you know, Western countries could forgive that debt because later in 90s, it led to the default of Russian Federation. And it was a turning point when people actually uh, lost their hope for democratization. And mm -hmm. that event turned people more to, you know, Putin-like uh, style of politician culture. And if Gorbachev negotiated a bit better about this debt, it was a small sum of money for Western countries, and he did so much. And I guess in exchange for Eastern Europe, you know, freedom, yeah. uh, they could forgive like several hundreds millions of dollars. It wasn't, you know, such a thing. And it could, you know, have gone better. But in general, just Gorbachev didn't have any reliable information you should understand that there were no scientists who can provide him with proper data at this point and right. actually even foreign you know experts uh, who was invited by Yeltsin and his government in early 90s fucked up yeah actually you know literally fucked up because all their ideas they proposed from neoliberal you know economic school mostly mm. failed miserably. And if that period of reforms would done a bit better, at least a bit better, now possibly we could avoid, you know, this, you know, fascist Putin's regime and all of that, because people uh, saw a causation between, you know, 
good relationships with Western countries with mm-hmm. poverty, chaos, criminal activity, and all mm. that. But actually, it's like correlation is not causation, but people right. started to believe that. And Putin wrote this, you know, wave of public opinion. And probably it's partly because of, you know, all the event, chain of events started from Gorbachev. Right. So, right. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's really one, I guess it was the 1996 Russian presidential election where they actually, it was the most free election in the history of Russia. And that's what people say. It's about things I've, I've read and that, you know, there were actual debates and there were election ads and they were, you know, it was, it was, it felt like, I remember watching this going, Oh, this is exciting. Look at these people getting to vote. It's so awesome. Cause I mean, whenever I vote, I, I, I actually really like voting. Like I feel really, even when I know my team's going to lose, um, I still feel really good about voting. Cause it's like, this is a, a thing that grownups do in countries, you know? So it was kind of cool seeing it somewhere else. Um, I'm trying to think of any other historical cases where something collapsed the way the Soviet Union collapsed. I mean, it's one of these things we look back now and you can go, oh, it was because of this and this and this and this and this. It all made sense. It eventually had. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. No one, the CIA didn't see it coming and their job is seeing things coming. (laughs) You know, so they they, nobody knew it was going to happen. And I'm trying to think of other cases and I mean, the closest thing I can think of here just offhand is the fall of like like all the central powers in Europe, you know, Austria-Hungary and all that stuff. But that took a war to do. Yeah. Most of those examples are like the tail end of a war. So you could have had criminality, chaos, poverty in Western Europe. Yeah. But we chose, or the Americans in particular, chose to invest in rebuilding Right. Danielle made a great point where like it would have been a great investment for us to forgive those that debt. It would have been a minimal cost compared to the return. But I think that's also a function of neoliberal policies, too, is that they actually don't work that great for us many times. Like they're just terrible and they just make rich people richer and poor yeah. people poor like it's not uh so it's I, exactly it, what happened in russia yes. yeah yeah. yeah no this is this no, is no. i mean russia is in a lot of respects we use uh, it like an experiment yeah you know just, that's what i was literally russia, gonna say and it doesn't even work for us really because we have a, a widening gulf between yeah. rich and poor yeah yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's, it's one of these things that, and you know, you think about forgiving loans of a couple of hundred million dollars, um, the, the budget of the university of Toronto is bigger than that. Yeah. You know, like the university of where I was going, where I went to graduate school could have funded probably all of Bulgaria's debt <laughs> you know, probably wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's kind of bizarre to, 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 you know, think about that. I mean, I guess I don't know. Who knows what the think the thinking was? Um, had they maybe gone with some better people? I'm not. I don't know. But yeah, it's almost always the end of a war, right? You think about yeah. And what happens at the end of World War II? The West pours money into Western Europe through the Marshall Plan, right? Like just pours it in. Yeah. Um, but how do you think that we get you get a modern rebuilt Germany in ten years? You know, a country that was flattened. Um there wasn't a lot of parts of Germany that were untouched and you end up with, and in fact, you end up with the, even in the Soviet bloc, the most successful economy was East Germany. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the one. I guess I have a historic example. Excellent. can be somewhat close to that, you know, the collapse of uh, Alexander Makedonsky, Alexander the Great Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay. So actually, he, it was a huge empire which, you know, collapsed to uh, separate, you know, states. Yep. And everybody from that state, his ex generals, wanted to have their, their piece of power over that land, which actually what happened with former Soviet republics. Mm-hmm. But it was done without, you know, super big war between all these you no, know, parts, that's right. for at least for first years. Yeah. So maybe something like that. That's 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 pretty good. Uh, and that's you know that used to happen a lot, where 
a big empire would be split between the kids. <laughs> yeah. When when the emperor yeah. dies, uh, the kids get the empire, right? So you can have this part, and you can, and that's in the that's in the person's will. The the, the modern sort of nation state thing is is a modern idea. Uh, it's very you know it's what only about six or seven hundred years old, really, right? I, I think is that right, Ken? Even, would you say? Even less, I guess. Yeah. Probably even less. Like yeah. I mean, you see the the revolutions in eighteen forty eight, right? being driven largely by that and those ones fail largely um it's all it's so interesting the show notes we were putting together it's like i was thinking even like in national imperialism there's always one group that comes up on top because humans are so different populations are mixed with different populations either through choice or by force yep um so every model ends up with typically like even in canada you know, quite recent last 20 years, it, was it Harper that introduced the concept of old stock Canadians? Yeah, in the 2015 election. Yeah. yeah. Old stock doesn't really mean old stock. It just means a certain kind of white person. It means, yeah, is, it means a certain which, kind of English speaking white person. That's right. Yes. It's, it's, that's even better than all the other white people. Yeah. And then, you know, like so there's always one, no matter who's exercising control, there's usually one group that's pushing the agenda and tends to come out on top. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that that's human nature, but it's probably human nature. <laughs> so I'll say it. I mean, it's depressing to think that that might be human nature. That's why I didn't want to say it. Yeah. But, but I think it might be almost, which doesn't mean it's unchangeable. That's, I think people no. misunderstand the idea that human, when I say something's human nature, well, that's why we like, yeah. that's why people were so enamored of Star Trek, right? It's like, Oh, look, We've yeah. given up all that. We don't do that anymore, right? We have a ship's crew that's got people from all different nations of the earth, and they meet people from different worlds, and we're not judging them as, you know, inferior to us or stuff like that. And you even have a, a rule yeah, where if you right. encounter someone who doesn't have the same kind of technology, we don't interfere with their development. It's funny miss. though, Star Trek always has this conceit of we don't judge them, but about every right. third episode of Star Trek is extremely judgy. I, know I mean, mean, it's judgy in a way I like because it's yeah. like the way we do things is good and the way you do things is wrong. Well, the every third episode is almost taking, always like us, right? They're taking something that actually is going on on the earth right yeah. now and then they fictionalize it so that we can talk about this issue in that setting, but that's. Yeah, I mean, that's they did that so many times. I can think of, you know, I mean, episodes that were, I mean, yesterday's, enter, not yesterday's Enterprise, the Enterprise incident is literally lifted from the headlines. It's the USS Pueblo. Like, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and Kirk goes and steals a cloaking device dressed up like a like a Romulan, which is one of my favorite bits of all of old Star Trek. We've just been watching old Star Trek, Isabel and I. Um, there's a lot more day drinking in Star Trek than I would have expected. Uh, it's it's perhaps very- they were, it, Perhaps they were working through COVID as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, 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 there's times when it reminds you oh right this was made in 1967 and these people all think like don draper okay so they're gonna drink in the afternoon and That's then right. go fly the starship uh it's except they never drink regular human drinks it's always like well there was one episode one in, in, in heaven marquee has a martini captain pike has a martini in the menagerie right it's before synthahol hall that's right <laughs> romulan ale it's like yeah there's always this i mean I don't know. I, the other things I'm thinking of, I mean, they're always almost always about wars. I can think of, you know, uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is the, the fall of Constantinople. But again, that was happening over a period of a hundred, a couple of hundred years. Yeah. Right. It of the Ottomans moving gradual. in on Constantinople and basically all that's left of the Eastern Roman Empire is a then city. You have a Frankish incursion in the, the 12th century or the 13th century too. There's a whole period periods of weakenings and then resurgence until it finally gives up i i think there's actually i mean probably all we all saw this coming and i don't know why the news didn't report this any differently but the complete collapse of afghanistan yeah but there's like, nothing mm. but information coming out of afghanistan and nothing but happy talk and but it's always the same happy talk right oh we've trained a really good national yeah. army and look at all the schools we've built yeah yeah uh yeah. and then it just collapses like vietnam at the end so yeah via, again vietnam afghanistan that's when you see these things but they're and it's the same sort of thing it's like oh this will it'll collapse but it's going to take yeah. a couple of years and then it's like i i remember the vietnam i remember vietnam collapsing because i mean i'm older than you guys and 
I remember it very clearly because, you know, early April, 1975, you're watching the news going, oh, that's okay. And then like by the April 15th, it's like, oh, okay, war's over. Like forever. Okay, cool. Yeah. But the difference is too, they're on such a, they're, I mean, they're a big scale and they affect a lot of humans, but they're not yeah. on a scale of the collapse no. of the Soviet Union and its that's implications right. for the rest of the world. That's right. Because, I mean, which that's where this is playing huge. out. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big difference. Uh, Dan, in, in, I mean, I know you weren't paying attention to, well, you couldn't pay attention. You were you probably still in a diaper, but um, <laughs> so like in 1991, when you talk to your relatives, when they talk about these times with your friends or colleagues or whatever, do they look at this and, and, and see it as, I mean, Putin talks about the collapse of the Soviet union being the biggest tragedy of the 20th century, which is. Yeah. It's a famous, his famous quote. Yeah. That, that, that's that speech in, is it in Hamburg something like that? Um, but do people actually view it that way that it's this, or do they do they see the USSR as a foreign, almost a foreign country or version of Russia, or do they just see continuity that that Russia was the USSR? Oh, so first I should mention that yes. I grew up in Moscow, right, and my family is living in Moscow for last you know sixty or seventy years, and it's you know the heart of empire, yep. where where the you know. Uh, empire sentiment is strongest. Like right. uh, the things are very different on the, I know, outskirts. So people have very different attitude. Right. And I remember, you know, maybe five years ago, I asked also my grandfather, I asked, where are you, at which point you, you know, uh, lost hope uh, about democratization of Russia and uh, where did you understand things are going wrong way and all of that? I was mm -hmm. expecting something closer to Putin reign or something like that. But actually, my grandfather said in 1991, I said, why so? <laughs> like, why so? <laughs> wow, he just like, like and he said, yeah. we had a referendum about saving or disbanding the USSR. And the majority of people voted for saving the USSR. And politicians still uh, didn't hear right. what people say on the referendum and broke this, you know, agreement. So what's the point of, of having referendum and asking people if you just didn't do what people told on that referendum? Right. So it, it was the first, you know, uh, sort of electoral event from my grandfather in like his whole life. And it started from, you know, this kind of lie. And after that, he was uh, very skeptic of all of that. So um, people weren't prepared much to that. And the first electoral event was a lie. So you don't get much positive attitude uh, from people after that. So people wanted to save the USSR. Yeah. And how things were done is very bad. Like a lot of people. Uh, imagine now Canada is collapsing. For example, you sure. went uh, to Manitoba on a temporary contract, but Manitoba became an independent state and mm -hmm. you can't just return to Ontario, or Quebec, or I don't know mm -hmm. where, and you're stuck like uh, in foreign province for you just right. because you had work there. And millions of people stuck uh, mm -hmm. that way in former Soviet republics and it was such a mess. Uh, people didn't trust their governments because they're like, you know, fuck referendums and all of that. And people uh, believe they are living like in a huge, powerful empire, which rivals the evil capitalistic states. And a lot of people like didn't uh, think that actually communism is possible, but they invested so much all their lives and so much sacrifice to serving these goals and building the top of society. And for them, it was a complete surprise why it collapsed. They didn't see that coming. Yeah. Even say, I didn't see that coming. So well, no. Common yeah. folk like was shocked. After that, they said, like, we want to save at least, you know, the country. It wasn't a thing. And of course, after that, there was a huge disappointment. And well, what's happened is, happen is happening like. Right. I mean, 
I, it is a funny thing to think of. And I, I know that when we've talked, you've said, when would you leave Canada? Like what would be the, the, the final straw? So it's the same sort of thought experiment, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, Cause it's hard to know. I mean, we well, did have a thing. We did have the Meech Lake, um, sorry, the Charlottetown Accord referendum, uh, mm-hmm. which at the time looked like the country was going to fall apart. <laughs> um, it felt pretty bad. Uh, and that, that didn't work out, <laughs> but I mean, it, there was, there was probably a little chance of the whole thing falling apart. We would have, part of it would have left, but we wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been no Canada anymore kind of thing. Um, People are funny though. Like if they, enough people believe in something, it's amazing how fast something can actually just go right down the tubes. Oh yeah. Like it's once the momentum begins, like I always look at now with the, the former wild rose people in the UCP in Alberta and like, talk about either becoming independent or joining the states and on one hand you want to go well you know what <laughs> good giant have fun. collection of our souls maybe you should just go but then it's like well but then there's this giant gap in like daniel was saying yeah. like there's this giant gap there <laughs> like you just can't you know and you have family and all the rest of it and suddenly it's different you know everything and currencies and a border and a border makes a huge difference to everything yes and, yes um yeah, it's it's uh, we, we've had, you know, and the biggest things I think we've usually been faced with is the potential separation of Quebec. Yeah, that's right. right? That's yep. like a repeat kind of phenomenon. And every generation has to deal with either, you know, either that impulse isn't strong or it strengthens again. And then we have to have a national conversation. You know, yeah. one of the people most responsible for the, you know, defeating it the last time, Jean Charest, lost horribly in the um, the Conservative Party uh, yeah. uh, leadership race. But I mean, he's, I mean, I wasn't surprised because he's passed his. Um, he's passed. passed his, he's he's passed, passed his best by date. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wasn't surprised either. I was I was hoping it wouldn't go the way it did because I'm yeah. I think this guy's kind of. Um, he's like a competent version of Donald Trump and that's, you don't yeah. need a competent version. I don't want competent fascists. No. Well, competent are bad enough. The, you know, the, um, the thing with, and then how we position Quebec within the, the Confederation is like, you know, it's, it's tiptoe tiptoes right up to having it be a separate country in, in some ways. Right. Um, but yeah, we've it, never seen that same phenomenon then beginning to be repeated in other provinces who begin to feel like oh well we're not the center isn't recognizing us we're we're putting in more than we get back you know yeah so yeah i mean i i don't think anything like that would be happening anytime soon but you know um we all didn't think the soviet union was going to collapse anytime soon either and you know when all these when the protests start in 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 uh, in leipzig and in uh, Berlin, I really expected Soviet tanks. Like, I really, really did, because I thought they, they can't allow that. Well, and that's what happened last time, right? Like, Hungary in 56, yep. Czechoslovakia, Prague in 68, it was like... Poland in 56, Poland yeah. in 1980, Poland... <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't... This is... If we were to, we tend to say, you know, uh, past behaviors are the best predictors of future behavior. Yeah. And then this time it didn't happen. It's That's like, right. It's not always like that. So I mean, it was the, in some respects, Gunther Schabowski, the guy that the, the, the East German official who said in that news conference, uh, here's the thing. You want to leave? You can just cross the border now that night, which was actually a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but he ended up doing it uh and you know the whole the, the wall comes down that night and i remember that night watching yeah. that on I, TV oh i remember going, that i what? was 17 yeah and i'm just like what the hell is going on How is like, this people are thing? there pounding yeah. on the wall with sledgehammers that they brought yeah. from home and I'm the like, east german border guards are like okay yeah. whatever yeah because <laughs> be like if suddenly in south korea that happened like yeah people from north korea just wandered across and started breaking down the dmz and everybody was like yeah okay whatever like that yeah. was the part that was the surprising thing. Yeah. I think it takes a hell of a lot of courage in a totalitarian society to, to protest. But if there's enough of you, you can do it. Well, unless it's China. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when there's enough of you, if you get 50,000 people out in the street, they're not going to kill 50,000 people. They're just not going to kill 50,000 people. It's getting the 50,000 uh, people out in the street. Uh, uh, okay, Dan, you think uh, they would? <laughs> I'm a bit skeptical. Like it's enough to, you know, 
shoot thousands of people and 50,000 like well that's you know, nothing decides that they should go home and they have urgent that's business right. you know at work <laughs> so yeah i can't make the protest i i gotta, I gotta be, be at in, home i gotta be in bolivia that day yeah, i can't make day, it probably guys we you know on saturday no 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 i i was thinking it's you know, sunday so actually you know it could be done like again gorbachev yeah. Uh, I'm grateful to Gorbachev, right. generally speaking, in spite of I don't remember his right sure. reign directly, yeah. but he had the choice between uh, isolationist, you know, militaristic, you know, way North Korea chose and, you know, globalized, uh, you know, att attempt to build a globalized, you know, democratic society. Mm -hmm. uh, he did the right choice in general, did you know, a lot of mistakes on that road, but yep. those mistakes mm. hardly could be avoided because all, all the situation, like he had little chances to do something better. Mm. If we wanted to do better, we should start like, you know, 10, 15 years earlier than Gorbachev even <laughs> yeah, came yeah. to power. So, no, that's probably and true. like he gave us that attempt, we fucked up. So, uh, now uh, we can't blame Gorbachev, but, you know, no. I still dream about, you know, uh, the same things he dreamed uh, for Russia, like, you know, globalized economy, democratic social institutes, uh, good diplomatic relationships with, you know, strong economies, you mm -hmm. know, friendly image, you know, on the world arena and economic growth and you know more freedom for people and i hope someday it will happen but now we're at the lowest point probably in the last you know 35 years easily. in russian history easily yeah so easily at the moment anti-gorbachev won mm. yeah i think maybe the day will come and but i think it'll take a long time i think sometimes leaders of countries get I mean, it's 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 almost unfair because one person can't be everybody's dreams, um, <laughs> but they also can't of be everybody's course. nightmares. Now, sometimes they are. Every so often, there's a Stalin and there's a Mao and there's a, a Hitler, and <laughs> sometimes oh, they are oh. everybody's nightmare or a Putin. But you know, they can't be everybody's dreams. And um, you know, Trudeau mania wore off. Uh, mm -hmm. The stuff with John Kennedy wore off. It just happens that way. It's just the way the world works. People are. You know, people get promised things and they read too much into things when someone says, I'm going to create jobs and, and so and, and the people don't get a job and they're like, well, you didn't create a job for me. There's really something to be said for when John McCain, when someone uh, during, I guess it was the 2008 campaign and someone asked him, uh, how are you going to create jobs in Michigan? He said, I'm not. Government doesn't create jobs. It's like, whoa, dude. Are you speaking the truth? That's a weird thing to hear. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess then again, when you know you're going to lose a state, you can just say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the American political system. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking that's a pretty good place for us to wrap up, boys. That was really good. Uh, okay. Let's uh, do a round of uh, plugs or anything else. Does anybody have anything they want to say about things they're doing on the internet or things they want to tell people or anything? either of you i would say you know take care of your political system mm. you know go to elections <laughs> and be That's really careful with it read programs don't buy only image of politicians because political systems are really really fragile and what you yep are grant for stable and i won't go these elections everything is fine without me you know this type of position leads to a catastrophe which i experienced twice in yeah. my 33 years old mm. you know <laughs> so uh be really careful with that please yes good point and also now that dan's here and he'll be a citizen in a few years uh uh you too <laughs> but you can anything you want to plug or anything like that or you just want to any final thoughts yeah i mean uh i would say that yeah if people can remember that uh political systems are made up of people yeah and uh the system itself doesn't function unless the people are acting in in you know good faith that's right and uh yeah like it doesn't take much to lose what you have so it's maybe instead of focusing on burning down the things that uh, 
currently dislike, think about the larger larger implications of the kinds of decisions that you're making when it comes to our uh, political system. And I would just say, if you follow me at Ken Herndon, uh, all one word, on mm-hmm. Twitter, you'll see yep. a lot of fun stuff that we're doing at the, the Queen's University Archives and in Rare Books and Special Collections. We always have nice, nice uh, pieces of cultural uh, heritage or work that we're doing that might be of interest to some student or scholar uh, There's some good stuff all around the world. So I I usually just act as a funnel to retweet all their good work. So that I'm, I'm a shortcut to to some of that. Excellent. Uh, and I I'm not going to give any more great advice like these two did because it was they've crystallized my thoughts and I I couldn't. They also I think both are can write better than I do and think more clearly. So I'm just going to leave that where it is. But I will say if you want to. We'll say you could. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll drop a link in the post about uh, giving money to the UNHCR and the Red Cross to help people from Ukraine. Uh, also, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's uh, at dbroadbeck. And if you want to hear two guys talk about Mad Men, I don't know why you would, but if you do, uh, tune in on Fridays. Uh, set your devices to download Sterling Cooper, David Steve, where Steve Cloutier and I talk about Mad Men. There's also best episode ever, Marshall McLuhan Variety Hour, which apparently is still a podcast. Uh, what else? I don't know. How about you want to hear some lectures uh, from a university classroom? Just search my name. You can find that. On that note, gentlemen, this was a blast. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. This is an excellent perspective. Uh, and we will see you all in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation.